Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good with Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. I want to preach to you today uh, about what to do when I don't know what to do. Matthew chapter one. If you have a Bible, I hope we'd love for you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one out of the row in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can take one of those. You, you might see in there, it's a stamp from a church that used to be in this building. So they aren't even really ours totally. So if you want to take that one, by all means is what I'm saying. Get a Bible in your hand. Matthew chapter 1. Do you ever have that experience? I don't know what to do right now. Like uh, I pulled up this morning um, early and uh, the people that are out driving like around 6 in the morning on Sundays in the winter, it's really just people like still trying to make it home from last night and people that work at churches. That's really all there is that's out. And I, I pulled up to the building and saw that our uh, Christmas lights with all the wind yesterday had gotten blown down some of them. And uh, I was thinking about spending all day having people in the congregation tell me, did you see that the, the Christmas lights fell? And I knew that they took like a two-story lift to get up to when we put them up in the first place. And I just had that like feeling right as it was all kind of sinking onto me at about 6.14 a.m. this morning. I don't know what to do with that. Every so often now, uh, we're in new territory. We have uh, one of our kids is in high school. We have a couple of teenagers. And you're encountering as a parent all the time these new intersections or choices or things and am I telling the truth for those who are parents in the room? Sometimes you get to these, you're like, something needs to happen right here. There's a thing that needs to happen right here, something. I just don't have any idea really exactly what the right something is right there. This, I could go on and on, but I think you get where I'm going with this. We encounter these situations often where we're like, amazing, that's where the story of Jesus Christ in this world starts. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18 it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, uh, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Pause. So a betrothal was more than what we would know in our modern culture as engagement. We don't really live in a world that has a lot of respect, you know, for Commitment to begin with, uh, my six-year-old daughter told me this morning that uh, she was going into the transfer portal because she was hoping that Uncle Kurt, who was singing this morning, might adopt her into his family, is what she told me this morning. That just happened. We just kind of live in an environment in our world that has low commitment. So people get engaged, they get unengaged, they get married, they get unmarried, decoupled, whatever. But in the first century, it was a totally different thing. Betrothal was a binding contract that usually came a year before uh, the marriage would happen. So a, a young couple, uh, as best as we can tell, Joseph was probably between 18 and 20. Mary was probably between 
13 and 16 years old, their parents knew each other, and they, they kind of said, you know, how about these two? And they kind of got the chance to, like, look at each other across a room, and this is not betrothal. It's like a binding contract between families. It required divorce to break it. The Old Testament was clear that unchastity before marriage was punishable by death. It really, betrothal was kind of like the beginning of marriage. Um, and premarital privacy between betrothed persons was permitted but not always available in Judea. It's possible that when we start reading Matthew 1.18, Mary and Joseph have never had a conversation without other adults present. All of that comes to that verse. You can put it back up on the screen. So Mary is betrothed to Joseph, and before they're married, she was found weirdly passive, the way that's stated, to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Uh, the town where they lived, Nazareth, was, best we think, between eight and 1,200 people. So that's like less than half the size of most of the high schools around here. And now there's this young girl who's engaged, and she's pregnant. How fast do we think that news made it, like all the way through every person in the town, even before the advent of text, right, and all this kind of thing. And everybody knows who's engaged. And everybody knows that they're not married yet. And I, these questions start coming. This is how we study the Bible. So how, you imagine the feeling, so I wonder if first she had a sense that maybe she was, something was off. The angel had already appeared to her. That's in the book of Luke. That's not what we're studying today. But Mary had some idea, and I wonder who she told first. And they're what it's like. It's a, we're blessed in this church that there are new babies being born all the time and there are new people pregnant all the time. And you kind of always know the thing where someone shows up and you can tell by the clothes that they're wearing that they've decided that now it's fine for everybody to know that they're pregnant by the way that they're choosing to dress, uh, which is not anything that I ever comment on. I learned that a long time ago. That's just stay as far away from that. I just always ask Kristen, is that, is that person, are they telling us they're pregnant? That's kind of the way it works for better for me is my point. But just imagine all the stuff right there. I wonder how Joseph found out. Like, it's hard to believe that he was just walking through the town square and she was wearing some kind of first century, like, big robe and all of a sudden there's a protruding belly of some kind. Was there a go-between? Was it Mary's dad told her dad? How did he find out? And how did this news settle on him? All of this. And her husband, Joseph... Verse 19, it says, being a, a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. So I, I brought four things today. I hope these are helpful to you. When I don't know what to do, the first thing that I know that I should do when I don't know what to do is I can choose kindness when I don't know what to do. So what the verse says is it says that he was a just man. When it means that Joseph was a just man, that meant that he was like known for his careful observance of the law. He was a good man. He was an honorable man. He was the kind of guy that you would be thrilled for your daughter to fall in love with. That's what it's saying. And it says that because he was a just man, once he found out that she was pregnant, and I, we're going to try to be like delicate, but I mean, he's, you know, he didn't have like modern high school health class, but I think he was smart enough to realize, well, okay, wasn't me. 
So by anything that he had to put together, that means that there was someone else that wasn't him. That would be a pretty difficult pill to swallow, I would imagine, I think fair to say. Pretty like... What, I guess my point is, what did Joseph do to deserve the situation that he found himself in? Nothing, right? He did nothing. And all of a sudden, this news comes over, and I imagine that there were, and we're going to see, we get a little bit of a window into his feelings, but what he decided was, he decided, okay, what I know I'm not going to do is I'm not going to try to embarrass her. I'm not going to make a show out of how bad she is. So, fair enough. I mean, she's pregnant. It's not me, so... It says, I'm going to divorce her quietly. So I'm going to like get out of this thing that we got going here. I'm going to get out of that. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to try to embarrass her to make a show that I'm the good one and she's the bad one. This says a lot to us in the world that we're living in um, today because a lot of the world that we're living in today revolves around, I call it punishment theater. And so often what's happening in the news or in our culture or in school when something goes wrong with a certain kid is the attempt is not to do what's best for the person who's messed things up. The attempt is to look good by how aggressive we are and intense we are in punishing people that deserve it. So when someone disappoints us, this happens like all the time, when someone disappoints us, uh, there's this pressure in our culture today to appease everybody else by seeming really angry, by punishing them in a way that seems aggressive. You hear this sometimes, if you ever run into a, like a wild kid at a store and you hear the mom say something like, just wait till we get home, this kind of energy. And so much of that is driven from when we feel disappointed, we feel a justification in trying to make the person that disappointed us feel as bad as we feel or try to hurt them as much as we feel hurt. And I, I, I read the story, I really felt like I read it this week. I've heard this a, a thousand times, maybe like you probably have. I feel like I saw it with some fresh eyes. Joseph is in a very difficult position. He's in a very difficult position. Uh, there's this pressure that often comes that he probably felt is that he needed to get away from Mary in a way that made sure that everybody knew that he wasn't the one doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing before he was married. It was her, not him. There was this pressure on him to be like, I have a, we saw it in the text, I'm a just man. I have a good reputation. I need to get away from her in a way that everybody knows that it wasn't me, it was her. That was the, and uh, we live in a world that loves creating those cycles of shame for other people. But I would suggest to you that minimizing the embarrassment of someone who failed isn't weak, it's strong. But what he's saying, now notice, because if you know the story, an angel's about to show up and Joseph is going to get some heavenly instructions. But before he even gets the heavenly instructions, simply because of the faith that he possesses in God, he knows the right answer to not knowing what to do isn't to try to embarrass somebody I feel angry or frustrated or hurt by or disappointed right now. What I know I'm not going to do is try to embarrass her. And that's actually the strong position because what he's doing is he's trusting his reputation to God. He's trusting the uncertainty to God. So he says, 
okay, she's pregnant. I know it wasn't me. I don't want to be married to her, but I can get out of this in a way that doesn't hurt or embarrass or, like I said, Deuteronomy 22 uh, made it clear that a woman who was pregnant while being betrothed was, could be stoned and punished to death. I think I maybe even have the verse of that. So he had every right, right, to try to embarrass her, but he chose not to. He chose kindness instead. That's what we do when we don't know what to do. It says in verse 20, but as he considered these things, there's a lot there. Have you had any of those days in your life? Have you had any of those days in your life where you woke up thinking about something and you spent all day thinking about it and you went to bed still thinking about it and you woke up the next day still thinking about it and that thing, that relationship or that work problem or that situation with someone in your family or that thing, who knows what I'm talking about, where you just got that one thing and it's just rolling around. Sorry, I probably just brought it back to mind. Sorry about that, yeah. It said, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. There's a lot there, pause. When the angel says, Joseph, son of David, he's pointing to the fact that uh, Joseph is in the kingly line of Jesus Christ, all the way back to King David, the highest point in Israel's history. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will... It's perfect. Why did Jesus come to earth? We see it right here from the beginning. To save his people from their sins. So it says he was considering these things. Uh, the, the word there is uh, in the original language is a word that means to ponder or to consider or to think through thoroughly. So Joseph is trying to figure out, what should I do? 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 And I think right there before you get to what happens in the miracle, there's something for us that when I don't know what to do, watching prayerfully is the other part of the, what I have to do. So when my, my next step isn't clear, staying in a posture of being connected to God and in prayer and thinking not acting foolishly is the next thing to do when I don't know what to do. So you kind of get like, I think we all know this, you kind of get like two different kinds of people, uh, people that default to action, those kind of like ready, fire, aim type of personalities. I, I'll certainly say yes to that. Anybody else in the room willing to say that's, I'm a little more like, I'm just going to do something even if I'm not totally sure. Anybody, can I, can I got one? Okay, yeah, just a couple people. Yeah, okay, yeah, they're more second service kind of people. Uh, and then some people are like more the opposite way, like, Sometimes the, the next right thing to do can be obvious to me, but I get a little nervous and I can kind of wait, 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 wait. Anybody resonate with that a little bit more? Like a little more like, wait, 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 right. Either way, when I don't know what to do next, I have to stay connected to God in a way that allows him to speak to me. Joseph gets the miracle of God shows up to him in a dream, but God speaks to all of us through his word, through prayer, Sometimes through environments like this where someone's preaching, I've had that experience in my life plenty of times where it was like, it felt like the person on the stage was talking directly to me as though I was the only person in the whole room. 
God has ways of speaking through friends. There are all kinds of different ways. God wants to give us what we need for the day that's in front of us. And sometimes we can either get all bogged down in our cycle of worry and thinking and worry and thinking, or just take a step before it's clear what step to take. Either way, when I don't know what to do, Joseph clearly considered what was happening and created space. Notice again that Joseph was a, a person, even though he was a humble man, he came from a significant background. When it says there, Joseph, son of David, it's like saying he was, he's one of the, one of the Kennedys or, or one of the Roosevelts or like Blue Ivy or one of these like really the people who comes from something great towards something. Like if, if, if Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey ever have a baby, it's like going to be a person that's paid attention to too much. From the, okay, no? Yeah. And the promise that's being made was that, the, and you may know this, uh, the people of Israel were waiting from all the way from the Garden of Eden for this person that was going to come and fix what was broken. They were always looking. They called it the Messiah. They were always looking, always looking, always looking, still waiting, always looking, still waiting. And the angel shows up in the dream and says, Joseph, your son was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb this is the thing that you've been waiting for. Not just you, this is the thing that everybody that you've ever met and everybody that you've ever met has ever met has all been waiting for this person. I tried to make an analogy. I couldn't, I couldn't make one. It's so much more than like your son's going to be the quarterback that finally leads the Bears or find a cure for cancer. Your daughter's going to be the first female president. None of that comes close to conveying your son. He says... She's going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus because he is going to save his people from their sins. Amen. Woo. So verse 22, it says, all this, um, all this took place. So this is Matthew, the writer, trying to really help us see exactly what he's trying to say. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So a thousand years before Joseph had this dream, it said in the book of Isaiah, what's in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The reason why um, God took this significant way of bringing his son into the world, I think, is at least twofold. One, any person anywhere who's ever lived on this planet can understand there's a baby, but it didn't come from a man and a woman having a relationship. That's something that crosses every like, place. People are like, well, that doesn't, something must be happening here. That, and two, uh, the scripture gives the idea in a lot of places that the sin nature that we all possess, that thing in us that is, you know, I always joke, but it's like uh, anyone who's ever had a little baby knows that you don't have to teach them to have a sin nature. They just have it from the very beginning. That comes somehow from our father, Adam. And because Jesus Christ comes into the world without an earthly father physically, that is why he is both fully man and fully God and doesn't have the sin nature that we have. That's why it's so significant. So Matthew's saying in verse 22 and 23, okay, this all happened so that you can know that what the Bible said was going to happen is happening. He's saying, 
You can trust what's written down. Every promise that God makes, everything that God says is significant, every direction that he points you to, it is all true. Third thing, when I don't know what to do, I can trust the scriptures. That I know. Uh, Sometimes you figure out, this has happened to me, uh, sometimes you figure out that the people that you listen to are actually giving you really bad advice. Has ever happened to you? You're like, huh, yeah, they're bad advice. <laughs> One of my best pals, uh, I've like had to just realize, actually, it's kind of like, it's actually, it's the opposite. Like that Seinfeld episode, if you know anything about that, whatever he tells me to do, I just go the exact opposite way and it works out perfectly. But we're always looking for advice, suggestion, direction. When I don't know what to do, I'm like, who can help me figure this out in this marriage? Who can help me figure it out what I should do at work? Who can figure out, help me figure out how to get out of this? We're, I, I, on Facebook, I'm in all these like Palatine fa- Facebook groups, and it's, it's like mostly just people complaining. Uh, like, we want affordable housing, just not in my neighborhood. It's like, that's basically all it is. But there's always people that are like doing the, I'm new to town. Does anyone know an honest mechanic? I'm new to town. Where's the place to get pizza? This kind of thing. Because we're always looking for something that we can trust in. And can I just, it's interesting, we live in uh, the world and the day and the time that has more information at our disposal than anyone who's ever come before us. And has it made us wiser? In most cases, it's made us more foolish. The volume of information has made us distrust authority at most levels. And I'm coming around all this to try to say that what Matthew says and what he points Joseph to and what he points us to is that the thing that I can trust is what is written down in the word of God that has lived for generation upon generation upon generation upon generation. People that looked like nothing like us, whose lives were nothing like us, found in the pages of this book the answers that they were looking for. So Isaiah 7.14, like I said, written a thousand years before, is what he's pointing at here. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When I don't know what to do, when I don't know what to do, uh, making a decision or taking a direction because I feel good about it, that produces short-term strength, right? Like, I feel good about it. That might be enough to make the decision, but then if things start going bad, you might start distrusting or going in a different direction. But what am I saying? Because God says it's true produces long-term strength. The scriptures tell us what God says is true. That produces a lot more strength when I don't know what to do. Okay, so what am I saying? Uh, There's folks that I talk to in church here who are looking for a partner to marry of some kind. Some people that are young, some people that are not as young. I'll stop there. Uh, And there is this intense pressure in our culture that when people who are like out looking for a partner, in our culture, for most people, that's tied to sexuality first and primarily with all the other things coming second, third, and fourth in the list. And that creates a tremendous tension for people who want to live God's way. 
creates a tremendous tension for people who want to live God's way because the path to getting what they want seems to require compromise. Okay. So if I just decide, you know what? I, I know what God's word like, says and I know what my grandma taught me or whatever, but it was a different day and it was a different time and, and I'm just going to kind of, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's just, uh, we do that, that little game. Then when things don't go well, it makes me say, well, uh, and I turn back and try to, a different path or a different way. But when I'm committed to doing things God's way, what the scriptures teach me, even if the person doesn't show up this year, or even if that relationship that I wanted falls apart, because I know that I'm honoring God, that gives me strength to keep on obeying, even though I haven't received the reward that I want yet. Does that make sense? Let me give you another example. Uh, this is so true with the way that we treat our finances. So many people operate like, I'm going to do all the stuff that I want, and then I'm going to give a little bit to God if there's some left over at the end. And we're not like big arm twister kind of people here. Uh, we're going to talk about the giving in a few minutes. I'm not going to like really try to guilt you into it because I've just found that that's kind of short term. And it like subtly makes you hate me, which I don't really want. <laughs> but, but the Bible's super clear from Old Testament to New Testament that the first portion of what he gives to us belongs to him. The first check that's supposed to go out of my house every month, even before the mortgage or the insurance or the groceries, is the one that belongs to God and God's house. And when I obey God, even when things are going a bad direction, like this month it just doesn't feel like there's enough, I know I'm honoring God, so because I'm honoring God, I know that God is with me and he's going to come through for me even if I don't know how yet. But if I just go on what I feel like, then when things don't work out, I don't have anything to stand strong or firm on. Because God says it's true is the strength that I need to keep on going through the things that I'm going through. I'll give you one more example, and then I'll go to the last part of the sermon. Uh, a lot of the people here in the church know that uh, we had this, Chris and I had this, uh, our house flooded last Christmas. And uh, so like, for the first half of this year, we were living in an apartment and working here and raising our kids and doing all the stuff that we normally do. Plus, we like added this part-time job of talking on the phone to insurance companies and trying to like pull our whole lives together. And so many people in the church were so gracious and, help and kind to us, and everything has worked out, and it's all great. But there were a couple weeks, like in the late spring, where, I don't know if this ever happened to you, where we loved each other, but kind of stopped liking each other because of all the pressure. Can, can I get, do I have, do I have, a, okay, yeah, I got a few witnesses around the room. Okay, okay, good. Okay, Ooh. If you're married for any length of time at all, you come to that intersection, and it usually is because the pressures of life just get to be so much. Okay, so when I get to that intersection, what do I know is true? that all the plans that God has for my life are on loving this person the most sacrificial way that I know how and doing the very best that I can, that all the plans that God has for my life exist inside making this thing work. But so many people in the culture, because they got together because of attraction or because of convenience or because whatever, when we stop liking the person for a second, the whole thing falls apart. 
What I'm trying to push us towards this morning is what I see in the text. The reason why Joseph was able to know what to do when he didn't know what to do was because when God spoke, he trusted it. When God spoke, he trusted it. If this is what God wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to spend a bunch more time thinking about it. Now that I know what God wants me to do, this is exactly what I'm going to do. So now to the end of the story. When Joseph woke from sleep, verse 24, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. So it appears as though when they got married, she was pregnant because it says, but he knew her not. That's biblical speak, just not if you understand what the Bible's trying to say when it says, but he knew her not. Until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Uh, the last thing, when I don't know what to do, I'm going to obey God completely. I'm going to obey God completely. I'm going to obey God completely. Uh, have, you, have you learned yet? how easy it is to obey God partially. Obeying God partially is very easy. Uh, this is like when you ask the children to clean the dishwasher and put the dishes in the sink into the dishwasher and you come back and like the silverware is still there and there's like three bowls on the counter and it's sort of like about half the thing or two-thirds of the thing was done but not the whole thing was done. We are so prone to obey a little bit and stop before we get to the fully total thing. So, the last part of that verse is the significant part, okay? I want you to get this. I want you to get this. When it says there in Matthew 1.25, and he called his name Jesus. That is Joseph claiming for every person in town to see that he was saying this child was his son. In the whole little whatever gossip-filled vibe of that place saying, did you know about Mary? I wonder what this is all about. Can you believe it? He's going he's to marry her anyway. There would have been this temptation to tolerate the presence of the child without saying this child is mine. But what God told him to do was, you're going to name him, you're going to, Call him Jesus, and you are going to take him as your son. That is not obeying partially. It is obeying completely. In the scripture, there is tremendous emphasis on the significance of names. You know, like now, my generation, millennials, we like name our children based on what's going to seem cool for our like Instagram brand or whatever. Wow, that's clever. Yeah, okay, cool. Totally different in the first century. So. One of the ways that we know, this is Isaiah 41, but thus says the Lord who created you, to Jacob who he formed you, O Israel, fear not, speaking to us today, for I have redeemed you. There it is. I have called you by name. You are mine. So what Joseph did was he said, I'm going to marry this girl. I'm going to stay away from her physically till after the child is born so that no one could ever try to claim that she wasn't born of a virgin because that's what the prophecy was and so that's what the prophecy is going to be. And he said, this son is going to be mine. Why is this significant? By giving him the name, Joseph accepted the child and Jesus Christ could only be born, as the prophecy said, into the line of royal King David if Joseph claimed him. 
Joseph acts like the people of Old Testament, New Testament, and even now today, people who obey God's call, even when it's against all common human sense. Like, you know there must have been people in his ear like, yeah, but like you're not going to marry her, right? Like, I get you don't want to hurt her, I get you don't want to embarrass her, but like, you want me to believe that you had a dream and this baby just showed up? Like, do you know how many people have tried that thing before? There's something so beautiful in the total, uncalibrated, I'm just going to obey. I'm just going to obey what God has told me to do, even when it doesn't totally make sense, because I believe that me with God in obedience is the path to whatever God wants me to have. So I just wonder today, uh, we're going to pray and then I'm going to do the announcements and then we're going to sing. But I just wonder, could you just bow your head for a second? I just wonder, is there anybody in the room today who would say, uh, this Christmas I got some stuff, I don't know what to do. I just would love the chance to minister and pray for you for just a second before we get to anything else right here. Let's just stay right here. Anybody in the room today that say, I got some, something going this Christmas that I don't know what to do with. If that's you, uh, I just want a chance to pray for you. You could just raise a hand right now. Yeah, all over the place, uh-huh. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Lord, I pray for every single person acknowledging that that is true for them right now. Lord, would you give them Bravery to obey you completely. Wisdom to trust what the scriptures are saying is true. Would you give them, Lord, the, the patience to wait and trust and prayerfully look for what you are doing? Would you give them the strength to choose kindness even when in the situation it feels like frustration? Lord, we're looking back at how you came into the world and it was filled with such confusion and sometimes I'm feeling a lot of confusion. And we're just asking, Lord, would you meet us right there? It's not too hard for you. Your arm is not too short to save. Your love doesn't run out before it gets to me. I'm asking, Lord, what you say in your word would be true for each of us who's needing to be ministered to now, Lord. When your word says, when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. I'm thinking of what... Uh, King Jehoshaphat said in the Old Testament, Lord, he said, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And so I'm just trusting you, Lord. I'm trusting you. We're trusting you with everything we have. In Jesus' name, if you agree, please say amen. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.